and uh, um, I really enjoy it. But uh, uh, I was at a church picnic at the church that I go to. This is back in 1987. It took us about, it took our church about 30 years to figure out to do picnics in the wintertime instead of the summer when it's 110 degrees. And so this was in July of 87. And I was playing basketball with, with a number of guys that I used to, and I was, uh, trust me, I can't do this anymore. I went up for a dunk and uh, pinned the ball. I missed it. I pinned the ball against the rim, and, I'm, and I, my body goes uh, horizontal, and I break my fall with my wrist, and <laughs> I busted my wrist, and I've never broken a bone in my body ever. And I'll tell you what, it's painful to break a bone, just like you hear about. And so I went to uh, a friend of mine who was the door director at the time, and I said, look, man, I think I busted my wrist, and, it, and uh, this thing was swelling up. And, and he said, yeah, you busted it. He was in the Army, so he'd recognize it. So, he, so I drove myself to the University of Arizona, the, the medical center there. And um, sure enough, they looked at it through an x-ray, and it was broken. And um, they, they put it in a splint. They told, they told me, come back in six weeks. And uh, if you leave it in the splint, don't take it out of the splint. Leave it in the splint. Come back in six weeks. It'll heal. Well, I promptly went out. And I uh, was scheduled to go on an invasion team to California. And uh, I had to play bass in a concert, uh, concerts every day for about twice a day for about a week. And of course, I'm using this wrist, and I'm, I'm taking it off, playing, putting it back on. And um, I didn't go back to the doctor. It wasn't for spiritual reasons. I just didn't have any insurance. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I just I didn't go back. And it healed. It, it really did. It healed. But it didn't heal right. And for years, I, I, I was in, you know, it just, it, just, it just didn't feel right. It was, I moved my wrist a certain way. It just... It, it, it kind of went away after a while, but it took a long time. And so I want to just, uh, I'll get back to that in a minute, but uh, I want to just look at a simple thought this evening, healing properly, because uh, God's in the healing business, but maybe you're here uh, this evening, and you, maybe you know people, they, they have healed, but they didn't heal the way they should heal. And so I just want to look at the difference between that and believe God to help us. Uh, in this uh, scripture, John chapter 5, uh, there's a man, and we're going to read this in verse 1 through, uh, he's, he's, he's had an ailment for a long time, and God helps him. And John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir... I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But when I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise up and take up, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately 
the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Amen. Amen. First of all, I want to just uh, look at the whole idea that life is full of risk. How many of you agree with me on that one? Life is a risk. Somebody said this, life is a risk and you can die from it. And so uh, there's, uh, there's assumptions that you and I take every day, whether you think about this or not. Uh, I flew a plane here from Tucson. I, took, I flew two planes. And, uh, you know, I, I got on that plane. I don't know that pilot's name. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what he looks like. I'm assuming that uh, they have checked out this plane properly for safety. I don't think about it. I just assume that. Those are big assumptions. I remember a number of years ago, the America West pilot uh, uh, in Phoenix, uh, they, they busted him for flying. He was a little drunk, thank God for co-pilots. But, uh, uh, but uh, you don't know these people. Uh, if you drive down a two-lane road here in uh, Portland, uh, you know, you are assuming that the person that you're passing is not suicidal, that he's not drunk, or that he's not uh, uh, incapacitated, or the mere fact that he actually knows how to drive. You just think that, well, it's going to be okay. I'm passing. He's going to stay in his lane, as everybody says. Now they stay in your lane. And so, uh, uh, and so you're assuming he's going to stay in his lane, and you're going to stay in your lane. You do that all the time. These are assumptions. Every once in a while you hear on the news uh, that uh, sometimes this goes wrong and uh, somebody drives down the street the wrong way or somebody uh, crosses over, they fall asleep. Uh, you're assuming this guy's awake. Uh, and you make these assumptions every single day. How many of you found out in 2020 we're really not in control as much as we think we are? I was uh, flying a plane a number of years ago and I asked this stewardess, I said, I don't know how you guys deal with all these time zones. I mean, it, uh, be honest, it messed me up big time. And it's still, I'm still messed up from time zones. And my sleeping pattern's never been the same since evangelizing, because you're always in different time zones. But these, these girls are always in different time zones. He said, we're always wiped out. And uh, I remember one time, the, 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 I was the last person off the plane. And, this, the stewardess, she had this plastic smile on. As soon as it's almost like the animals got off the plane, she's like, oh. And she, she reached up for her bag, and the bag dropped out of the overhead compartment. And out came this giant pill bottle with these horse pills in it. I thought, oh, that's how you do it. That's mother's little helper right there. And so uh, uh, we make assumptions all the time. I mean, I'm like you. I like to plan. I like to prepare. And I like to consider options, and uh, that's wise. But ultimately, we don't know what the day is going to bring. We have no idea. Jesus talked about faith and anxiety, and he said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. You have enough problems today. You have enough evil to deal with today. And so uh, ultimately, we don't know what's around the corner. You know, when you're young... Uh, you tend to be idealistic. Uh, there's a saying in politics that you, uh, when you're young, you're more liberal. You're more, uh, uh, maybe everybody in Oregon's young, I don't know, but uh, uh, you're more liberal. You're more, you have this idealistic idea. This is the way life should be. And, uh, but when you get older, it's, you realize that life is not always like that, and you tend to get more conservative. And you realize that, uh, uh, hey, life is not exactly what it should be sometimes. We live in a fallen world. 
Sometimes young parents have young kids. They, 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 look at, they look at people that have teenagers or kids in their 20s, and they're scratching their head. They, man, why their family's messed up. My, not my little mijo, he's, he's perfect, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Something must be wrong with these people, you know. But, you know, then life kicks you around a little bit, and you realize, well, you know, that's, uh, life is not exactly what you think it's going to be sometimes. You don't, you know, you want it to be, but it's not. Here's a good example. Is John chapter 9. The Bible says there was a blind man. He was born blind. And uh, Jesus does a miracle and heals this man. You think everybody would be happy about this. And so, but they're not. They bring him into the synagogue. They want, well, who did this to you? Who healed you? And then nothing about, uh, uh, wow, it's great that you can see for the first time. How does it feel? Uh, none of that. Is, who did this to you? They bring the parents in. Uh, uh, what, you, tell us about it. We don't know, man. You talk to him. He's a grown man. You talk to him. And, uh, and so finally this guy uh, speaks up after challenging them a little bit. He says, he says, listen, man, I don't know the guy's name. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. And they throw him out. But it starts off like this. It says, and now Jesus passed by and saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they got the same mindset. They say, man, here's a big problem. This guy's blind. Uh, was it his sin or did the parents sin? Or, uh, uh, hmm, must be a real problem. Jesus said, neither. You got the wrong, you're asking the wrong questions. Uh, uh, he says, neither one of these sinned, uh, the parents or him, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, you're asking the wrong questions. It's not, wow, what's wrong with these people? When Jesus came to heal uh, what's been broken in life, and it's not about sitting around. Uh, you know, Job's going through the trial of the century, and uh, he's, uh, uh, he's going, and now he's got three friends that come up to him, and they're saying, man, Job, you must have did something wrong, huh? You know, here comes the analyst. You know, if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll be turned into a Christian analyst. You'll look around and say, hmm, I wonder what, 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 I don't get it, man, hmm. I don't, yeah, I just, yeah, he must have did something wrong. I, well, it could have been something entirely different. And so Jesus is saying, hey, it's, you're asking the wrong questions. You live in a fallen world, and I've come to fix things inside of a fallen world. You know, Rolling Stones used to sing this song called Shattered. It was a 1978 song, and it's about New York City. There are rats on the west side, dead bugs uptown, and this place is shattered. He's looking around and saying, man, this town's messed up. And after living there five years, I said, yes, amen, Mick, you're right. Uh, but, uh, uh, but that's life. Now, you might be here this evening, and uh, you know, there are things that perhaps have happened to you. Perhaps there's some things that have shattered your life just a little bit. God takes us just as we are, and uh, then he rolls up his sleeves and says, you know, I'm gonna, I, I can help you. I mean, it could be a past relationship. It could be some disappointments. It could have something to do with your upbringing. It could be a church experience. You know, the devil can move in, on a, in, in church and shatter people when things, you know, the Bible says that uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, something about faith. Well, faith is, you know, you can be idealistic when it comes to faith. Well, this is the way things are going to work out. And then when it doesn't, uh, 
the devil can throw you for a loop and say, well, I guess God's not real. I guess this is not all he cracked up to be. But uh, it could just be that uh, we live in a fallen world. Amen. I said all this to say this. Life's full of potholes. There are things around the corner. The devil can throw curveballs at you that you don't expect. And I want to, because this is true, I want to look at coexisting with the breaks of life. In our scripture, verses 5, uh, five and 6, it says, uh, it says this. It says, uh, now there's a certain man there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been in that condition a long time. He said, do you want to be made well? Now think about this man. He's been in this infirmity for 38 years. You want to put that in context? It's like being infirmed since 1982 in today's year. That's a long time to be in any condition. That's a long time to be laying there in a broken condition. If you read Luke chapter 8, the Bible says there was a woman who had an infirmity for 12 years, a physical infirmity, and it says that she spent all her money on the doctors trying to fix this. Now, these aren't legitimate doctors if you do a study. I thank God for legitimate doctors. We live, we live in a great country, but uh, uh, the, if you do a study, uh, she had a real, uh, um, uh, her mindset was uh, very, uh, uh, very different. And, and if these were doctors, these were witch doctors. These were potion doctors. She would be, a, she would be the first one to call an infomercial, 1-800-CALL-NOW for the latest uh, thing. She was spending all her money trying to fix this. This is 12 years. And so between these two, uh, you got a superstitious woman. And uh, she, we know she was superstitious because she was, uh, she's living in a pagan area. And she thought, man, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And that's the way she thought about medicine at that time. But good for her is that she did touch the right hem of the garment and she was made whole. It was Jesus. So between 12 years and 38 years, that's 50 years of pain between two people. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just uh, say this evening, there's a lot of pain if you add up the years that people sitting in our churches and our fellowship, things that have happened to them early in life. Uh, can I just uh, uh, bust a Christian myth? Because uh, Christians can pick up myths uh, after a while if they're not careful. The myth is, is that every curse is broken the moment you get saved. That's a myth. Now, he breaks the curse of death. He breaks the curse of sin. From the moment you get saved, you are right uh, with God. You're on your way to heaven. But uh, uh, God is a God that wants to help us personally deal with our own demons, so to speak. Things that have happened to us. That's not broken right then and there. God says, I will help you with those. You live for me, and I will break things in your life uh, if you handle them properly. And uh, here's the problem, though. If you can't find wholeness as a Christian, you learn the art of coexisting with the breaks of life. You would coexist with them. You know, I didn't go back to the doctor because of that broken wrist, and for years, uh, uh, you know, if it would start raining in Tucson, which might not impress you around here, but uh, uh, but uh, if it do that, I feel the humidity. I'd feel it in my wrist. But man, it's just I feel it. It's weird. Something aggravated it. That's 
just like people that live and coexist with pain, that pain can be resurfaced and aggravated through words and memories, and, and, you, and you could be walking through a grocery store and hear a song, oh, I remember, man, when that song came out, it was a bad time in my life. Bad time. It can be, uh, uh, it can be aggravated. Bones generally don't break by themselves, unless you've got a bad case of osteoporosis. Uh, bones aren't going to break by themselves. Something has to break them in life. And usually they are broken by something else. I want to look at uh, some things that we can coexist with if we're not careful. One is personal pain. Personal pain in your life. And you might, other people might uh, not uh, fully grasp it, but you know what it is. But you learn to deal with it. Uh, how many ever been in physical pain? I'm not talking about, because this is, I'm talking about spiritual pain, but I'm talking, how many have ever been in physical pain, but you just learn to deal with it, man. It's like you get up in the morning, you know not to step a certain way. Uh, you know that you have to crack that back. Uh, uh, I've sprained this ankle about six times playing basketball, and, uh, and I knew the drill. I had an ace bandage. Every time I do it, you wrap it up, and uh, you're down for a little bit. Uh, uh, but when you're doing that, uh, you're not on crutches or anything. You just learn to put all your weight on this side until it heals, and then you're back for some more punishment. And so um, that's a lot what it's like to live and coexist with pain, is that you learn to favor that pain. You just learn to deal with it. It's there. You live with it. And you might not say it, but there's part of you that says, there's no answer for this. This is just me. This is just how I'm made. This is what I have to deal with it. This is my cross to bear. I mean, there's. I used to pastor in the South, and, and there people say, well, if they had a problem, if they had cancer or whatever, this is my cross to bear. That's not what that scripture means at all, that you have to deal with uh, things in life that have hurt you the rest of your life. It's just your cross to bear. God wants to break those things. Uh, uh, that cross is talking about something entirely different. Uh, you live with pain. You expect it. It's chronic, which means persisting or something that's reoccurring. There could be another thing that we learn to live with uh, is that our, we live with limitations that have been placed upon us. And uh, this could have to do with words that were spoken to us early in life. Uh, you know, you could, you could be here this morning and you could go for a job and, and, uh, and maybe you didn't get that job and, and maybe God has something better for you, but here comes that thing in your mind that somebody told you a long time, you're never going to amount to anything. I mean, you know because you were told that. You were told things like that. You know, when I was, uh, uh, when I was young, you know, I'm afraid of heights. I really am. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm better now, but uh, when I was about six years old, I was in Arizona. In a, a, there's a big giant dam, the Roosevelt Dam near Phoenix. So my, I was there with my uncle and my mother. And I'm um, trying to look over, and it's one of those deep dams, it's kind of like the Hoover Dam. And um, so my uncle, he's trying to be a hero, picks me up, give me a good view, and lifts me over. He says, yeah, see how deep that is? Don't worry, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. And uh, he didn't let me go, but I'll tell you what, man, I, I can fly 35,000 feet in an airplane, but you get me on the edge of the roof, and I'm like, whoa, baby, not me, not today, Satan. But uh, 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 I'm afraid of heights. And there's a reason I'm afraid of heights. 
because something happened to me to make me afraid of heights. And that put a limitation in it. I'll probably deal with that the rest of my life. Perhaps uh, I'm better now. But uh, uh, there's things that may have been spoken to you. You're never going to be nothing. You're ugly. You're this. You know, these are, these are things you get from people you expect the best from. Sometimes you get the worst. And they're limitations. And uh, we, we, we deal with it. You know, that's just, uh, that's just me, man. And you'll, you'll hear, uh, you'll, hear uh, you'll go to a conference, you'll hear how God can use your life, and, and, and somebody told you that uh, uh, you're this, this, and that. God can never use my life. You're limited. And we resort to defense mechanisms. Uh, uh, psychologists have identified 15 defense mechanisms that we can use to protect our hearts. Nobody's going nobody's to hurt me. Nobody's going to do this to me. And, you know, the, another thing that we can coexist with is a broken heart. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, 7 says that you can think with your heart, and it's been proven by medical science that there are 40,000 neurons inside of your heart. These are the same things that are inside your brain. How many ever been in deep thought, and you can feel your heart thinking? You can just, uh, man, just, uh, and, and uh, that, there's a real truth to that. It's like a little brain. But there is a, uh, um, a, a syndrome that they've come up with in the medical community called a broken heart syndrome. And uh, that applies spiritually as well. And so here's six ways that an unhealed wound can manifest itself. Because these things, there are things in life that can break the heart. Heart's not meant to be broken. It's meant to be whole. But there's things in life that can break it. And uh, one is anger, your extreme displays of anger. Uh, and, you know, if you have fits of extreme anger, somebody says the wrong thing, and boom, and just, uh, you know, and you're, you're, uh, that could be a stronghold, and it can be stemming from past pain in a person's life. Uh, insecurity. Constantly uh, demanding attention, needing to be emotionally propped up all the time. You know, everybody needs a little of that here and there, but if you need it all the time, uh, it could be that uh, there's a real insecurity and that's manifest uh, uh, from something that is broken. It could be pride. You know, pride can be expressed in a lot of different ways. You always need to be right. You're better than other people. And a lot of us would identify that as pride, but there's also a reverse pride that enjoys being different. And uh, you, you, uh, sometimes pride is a result of a deep wounding. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna be different, I'm a, I'm a malcontent, or I, I'm my own person, I'm not gonna conform. And uh, you think, well, this, this person's, uh, you know, he's just an independent guy, but it could be uh, a pride that results from a deep wounding, and really what you're doing, you're vowing never, ever, nobody's ever going to hurt me again. Nobody. People have hurt me in the past, but they're not going to do this again. I'm my own man. I'm going to be different. Uh, and uh, that independence could be, I, I don't need anyone. I can make it on my own. Uh, it's a safeguard against pain. I'm not going to get close to people. You erect walls around yourself, and you've determined uh, that nobody ever is going to have a chance to reject you again. You've been rejected in the past. Nobody's going to do that to me again. People that are touchy. And I used to work with a guy that was seven feet tall. 
and uh, he didn't uh, make any money off being seven feet tall. He worked in the hardware store, but uh, uh, he's, uh, he, one thing that I was told uh, that uh, it was a hardware department, but uh, he, he uh, I was told, don't ever ask this man how tall he is, because uh, it's, it's over. Because, uh, because he says, man, he's all, 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 he's, all his life he's been, people, he go to a grocery store, people think he's a freak. Yeah, look how tall that kid that guy is, and uh, he just got tired of it. Don't ask this guy how tall this guy is. And uh, there's, uh, that's just an example, but uh, there's a lot of people that uh, you can't say certain things around them. You have to walk on eggshells around them. You know, there's, there might be people here, you're married, and uh, it's kind of a, you've, you've accepted the fact that you can't go a certain place with your husband or your wife. You walk on eggshells. You can't talk about certain things because you'll start a big fight. You'll start, uh, uh, don't go there. And uh, you walk on eggshells. People have determined nobody's ever going to step on my toes again. And they won't let you do it either. You're touchy. Excessive shyness or loneliness. You know, sometimes that can be a personality, which is fine. I'd hate for everyone to have a bombastic, I mean, I'm glad, I like President Trump, I hate, but I hate to live in a world where everybody was like him. But uh, uh, thank God for some shy people and, and to balance him out. But uh, it can be a personality, but it also can be from something in your life uh, that's, uh, that has hurt you. You know, when I, uh, when I, uh, I mentioned part of my testimony this morning, when I, when I uh, got, right before I got saved, uh, a couple years before I got saved, I started smoking pot. You know, I was I was energetic guy, outgoing guy, but for two years of that made me a, I don't know if you've ever been in that lifestyle. It makes you introverted, man. It makes you think everybody's out to get you, and uh, I was afraid of the cops, and now my son and my daughter-in-laws are both cops, so I don't, and so uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, but God, when I got saved, God really had to help me with that uh, because, because something was broken in my life, and, and, and uh, God had to fix it. Uh, and so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So if, if you want to break that scripture down, if God didn't give us a spirit of fear, who did? Who gave it to you? God didn't give it to you. Life gave that to you. And life did something. And so I just want to uh, just look at something in a moment. You know, my, my, uh, there's young people here this morning. You can get broken when you're young. My wife uh, is, um, her, her, both her grandfathers uh, came from Mexico. And uh, she came, um, uh, her fathers uh, came and she was, and he was born in Texas. And then he moved to Los Angeles. My wife was born in Los Angeles. We grew up in a kind of tough area in LA. Uh, but uh, she loved her father very much, very, very much. Uh, and so he, he died when he was eight years old. She was eight years old. And within a year, unfortunately, her mother went down to Tijuana and found somebody at a bar, brought him home, and uh, said to her and her three brothers and sisters that uh, this is your new father. And uh, they ended up having... Uh, three kids of their own. This man abused every single one of those kids. Very sad for years. And I can't really get into it, but uh, uh, years down the road, um, 
all her siblings are very, very broken by this. And uh, to this day, you get them in a, in a conversation. It always seems to come up. But my, my wife uh, uh, always thought that life is just going to repeat itself. You know, her father died when she, he was 33. And she said, I'm going to die when I'm 33. She thought this. She didn't think about it all the time. But she always thought, I'm, life is just going to repeat itself. I'm going to die when I'm 33. Well, the truth is, that's exactly what happened. Uh, uh, my wife got saved when she was 33, and the old man died. And she was born again, and she turned around and forgave this man. And from that day, that was in 1986, uh, and she uh, chose to forgive him. Her siblings did not. And if you know anything about my in-laws, uh, uh, my wife is energetic. Uh, she's full of life. And, uh, uh, and I asked her one time, I said, what's your secret? She said, I just love life. But her siblings are broken. They're broken. Because a miracle needs to take place in the brokenness of life. And I want to just look at wholeness real quick. Uh, is, that, uh, is that you have to understand who the great physician is. You have to understand who the great physician is. Uh, my, uh, my wife uh, was following up with a, with a lady uh, in New York at a New York diner. And uh, she would not, they came down, their food came. She wouldn't pray for her food. Her, my wife did, but hey, let's pray. I'm not praying for my food. I'm mad at God. This is the lady. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to pray. And so uh, and, and another, there's another good girl that we were uh, working with, and sometimes she wouldn't come to church. And, and she would get on the phone. No, I'm not coming to church today. I'm mad at God. A lot of anger in New York, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm mad at God. And so think about this for a second. Uh, uh, this man was in this condition 38 years. You know, it takes a lot of humility for a person that is older to get saved. I've prayed with people in their 60s and 70s. It's a miracle because you're basically saying, I lived 60 or 70 years, and it was wrong. It's a miracle. And so this man was 38 years, and Jesus said, uh, do you want to be made whole? And he goes into this whole thing. I have nobody to put me in the water, and, 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 and that's not what Jesus was asking. He said, you've tried that for 38 years. I'm offering you something different. And here's Jesus. He goes to a church and uh, a synagogue, and, is, and he reads this scripture from Isaiah and Luke chapter 4, verses 19, and part of that uh, passage says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And uh, that word brokenhearted uh, comes from two Greek words. It means to break in pieces. It means encardia. It's, it's, it's not just a, the heart is broken, but it's broke in pieces. Uh, and uh, they heard that, and they got so excited about it, they tried to throw him off a cliff. And so Psalms chapter 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Another thing that when it comes to wholeness, you have to let God find the problem. It says in verse 6 that he knew he'd been in that condition a long time. So here's the problem, is we try to fix things in our Christian life the same way we used to fix them before we were saved. And can I just challenge you that if it didn't work before you are saved, what makes you think it's going to work now? done it your way, and it doesn't work, and so we need another approach. You know, the doctor that looked at my wrist didn't find it at first. 
He just put it under x-ray and said, You're, I can't see anything. I said, well, you keep looking, man, it's broken. And so what he said, let me try something. He grabbed my wrist and he twisted it as much as he could. And he's like, oh, there it is, it's broken. He opened up the brake and it was a hairline fracture. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and so he found it. It was painful, but he found it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't let God help them because uh, they don't want to expose themselves to the pain of finding out what the problem is. Sometimes that can be painful. You know, if you're married here this morning, uh, sometimes a marriage argument could be God's way of exposing a problem that needs to get fixed. You, 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 you know, you can either take a step back and be a real man or a real woman and say, hey, you know what, let's fix this, man. Or you can storm off for a couple days, or, or you can say, or you get in a big old argument and don't talk to each other for five hours. You could do that, and you just put the problem back under the surface, and I guarantee you it'll come back. It won't get fixed. And uh, sometimes God uses the upheavals of life to expose something in us that needs to be healed. Here it is. Let's do something about it. It's not always pleasant. And sometimes you have to break it all over again. Uh, you know, I, I, played, I played basketball in uh, uh, McHale Center. This is where the U of A plays. And U of A is really good at basketball. They weren't always. They were terrible when I was in high school. They were horrible. Uh, and uh, it was so bad that uh, I, was, I was there with uh, Ray Ruby, and we were playing with the players. And that's how bad it was. And so, uh, and so, uh, and so we were playing with the, these guys and some other guys. And, uh, and uh, this guy goes for a loose ball, and he hits the wall. And, and, uh, and as soon as he hit the wall, I uh, never heard anything like this in my life. Uh, was, when he went for the ball, his shoulder was here. As soon as he hit the wall, his shoulder was down here. Totally dislocated for about eight inches. And uh, in the 14,000 seat uh, arena, and I never heard an animal scream like that. And uh, he's screaming, and uh, this is before cell phones, it's like 1981. And so we're trying to find a payphone, and, uh, and the doctor comes, the paramedics come, and they're looking at him. He's screaming and moaning, and uh, he looks disfigured, and uh, they're ready to take him off. And they said, look, we can't take you away till we pop this thing back into place. And you think he screamed bad the first time. When they popped that shoulder back into place, they said, here we go again. It was horrible. And uh, they had to fix it. You know, uh, this church is called the Potter's House. That comes from Jeremiah 18. And, and if you read that, God says, that's what I do sometimes. Sometimes you have to break things and start all over. You know, you might be here tonight and you say, man, I'm broken. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we like Band-Aids. God says, forget the Band-Aid. Let's break this thing. Let's start all over. Let's, let's do it. And so Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? The obvious, of course he wants to be made well. That's why he's hoping somebody puts him in the water. But the reality is, is that he wants to hear it from us. Do you want to be made well? Blind Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10. Here's a man who's blind. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to, be, he says, I want to see. And uh, what, an, what an obvious exchange, but he has to hear it from us. We want to be made well. 
In closing, man, bones are amazing organs. They're made of living cells. They're able to grow and repair themselves. When they break, they form a blood clot to protect it, and they deliver cells to heal. And in this, these bones, they are an organ. They're not just a skeleton structure. Uh, they have blood vessels. They have living cells. They are able to grow with you. If you're, that's why your child's bone structure can grow. They grow. They grow with you. But also when they break, they're able to fix themselves. That's why doctors have the confidence that if you break your bone, his job is to set it and protect it. Uh, but his confidence is, is that magic will happen. It, it, it really, it's God is that uh, they will be able to heal themselves. But if it's not heal, if it's not set the right way, it's not going to heal the right way. If you set it this way, it's going to heal badly. But if you put it the right way, it's going to heal. You might be here this evening and say, I, I know I'm, I'm dealing with bones, that, uh, spiritual bones that have healed wrong. Uh, but they might have to be broken all over again and set. Who's the great physician? He's the one that sets it. Uh, and you might not see it tonight or tomorrow, but if you give it some time, and the doctors have confidence, give it six weeks and we'll take the cast off and you'll be fine. It'll heal. You know, a lot of people give up on God when they don't see results right away. They want shortcuts. Somebody said you can't unscramble an egg. Once it's broken, you can't put it back. You can't put toothpaste back in a tube. But God can do it. But we're, well, we're left with time heals all wounds. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time can make things worse. But time, along with God, can heal all wounds. One example, and then we're going to pray. I preached this sermon probably about five times already. And I preached this sermon in a church. There was a man that I know uh, that was, I was talking to before I preached this. His wife just died a week before that. And uh, he was broken, clearly broken by this. Uh, he loved his wife, uh, just like I'm sure you love your wife uh, or your husband. But... Um, uh, but uh, I preached this sermon. I already made up my mind I was going to preach this sermon. And uh, we prayed afterwards, and he came up to me afterwards and said, he said, man, for the last eight days, my heart, I've had this chest pain in my heart uh, that uh, would not go away. I went to the doctor. They checked out all my vitals and my EKGs and, and said, man, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But he says, I had this overwhelming pain. I felt like I was going to die. And so they gave him this little machine that you put on your finger. It checks your, it checks your EKG and all this, some little thing that they came up with. He put it on his finger, and he says, for the last eight days, all I do is just stare at this thing. I got, a, I got a bad heart, and I'm looking at this thing. This thing tells me I'm normal, but my heart says there's something wrong. And so he, we prayed, and we prayed to break some curses and, and break some... Uh, along the lines of what we're talking about. Uh, and he says, when I prayed, I felt like my heart healed itself. And he says, I realized that physically my heart was broken. You know, a medical science has proven that a heart can actually be broken. It's, it, it is that broken heart syndrome is a physical syndrome that, uh, uh, that uh, um, they've come up with. Uh, and he said, something, something was healed, and uh, I don't, I'm not in pain anymore. His heart was broken. 
transfer that to us spiritually this evening. There's might be people here tonight, and you say, uh, there's things that there's real pain that I deal with. Nobody else knows about it. It's just this something I deal with in life, uh, and uh, I, I, I bear this pain. Can I tell you, you don't have to live like that the rest of your life. You don't have to. Those are, those are spiritual issues. Somebody said that spiritual attacks require a spiritual response from us. And uh, I believe that curses can be broken. I believe that God can heal. And I'd like for us to bow our heads and to close our eyes this, morning, this evening. Um, tonight, before we do anything else, maybe you're here. The best thing that you could do for your heart is to ask Jesus inside of your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and, uh, and uh, uh, you, uh, you're here and uh, you say, I, I'm not 